Hey there everyone, I'm Patrick Ferguson from Skull Splitter Dice and in today's video we're going to be switching it up a little bit and I'm actually going to be talking about Pathfinder and more specifically how you can go from D&D 5e to Pathfinder and what to expect. And I'm talking about this purely out of my own interest in Pathfinder and other RPGs and totally not for some very silly, creatively devoid, litigious, dramatic reason that was all for nothing and just made a lot of people upset. I'm purely talking about this because I'm interested in Pathfinder. You've got a whole world of tabletop RPGs to pick from. Why pick Pathfinder? Well, it shares a lot of DNA with D&D, so while it's a different system, you'll find a lot of familiar terms and mechanics that go along with it. It's essentially D&D just with some of those complexity dials turned up. If you're still wanting to play games that are very similar to your existing D&D campaigns, but with some more crunch and player options, then Pathfinder is a great fit. Pathfinder 1E has also been around for 14 years at this point, and they've released a ton of content for it. WotC releases just a few books a year, while Paizo, on the other hand, releases dozens every year, and there are literally hundreds of books full of official content, most of which are freely available online. Just like with D&D, there are multiple versions of Pathfinder to work with. Both 1st and 2nd edition Pathfinder are still active and popular games with their own very different pros and cons. For this particular video, we're going to be talking about the 1st edition Pathfinder system, but stay tuned for another video discussing the sequel. So what books do you need? This is honestly one of Pathfinder's biggest selling points. Despite there being literally dozens of core books for Pathfinder, absolutely everything you need is online for free. You and your group can play Pathfinder without spending a dime, and Paizo has a long-running unofficial policy regarding takedowns and policing their content. Paizo makes their money with adventure paths, and they have no problem with you downloading everything else for free. Huge Pathfinder databases are easily accessible and easy to use, containing every character option, monster, spell, and feat you could possibly want. If you're a purist, however, and want the physical book, you'll have to build up quite a library to get the full core rules of Pathfinder. At bare minimum, you're going to need the Core Rulebook, or the Pocket Edition, at least one of the many bestiaries, and beyond that, there are literally dozens of supplementary books, but I'd recommend starting with the Advanced Player's Guide, the Advanced Class Guide, and the Advanced Race Guide. So what dice are you going to need for your Pathfinder adventure? Well, luckily for you, and for us here at Skull Splitter Dice, just like with D&D, Pathfinder uses the polyhedral set of D20, D12, two D10s, a D8, a D6, and a D4. So any dice sets you picked up for D&D will do just fine for Pathfinder as well. Now let's get some advice out there for the DMs hoping to switch over to Pathfinder. We'll go through some of the biggest changes you'll feel as a DM switching from 5e over to the Pathfinder system, starting with the advantage versus crunch. Playing 5e, it can be easy to forget how useful the advantage-disadvantage system is until it's gone. In 5e, you've probably gotten very used to simply applying advantage or disadvantage to rolls when weird situations come up. Pathfinder has a different solution, which is to have special rules for everything. Let's say your player is underwater, grappled by a giant squid, blinded by squid ink, and they want to fire an arrow at the merfolk wizard in the distance. In 5e, you'd be able to simply tell your player to roll at disadvantage, but in Pathfinder, every single one of those parameters makes a numerical change on the roll. You'll have a lot of situations where you'll need to stack up bonuses and penalties for a while before you can figure out what final number to add to a roll and what number they need to reach. 
and don't get me started on the grappling rules, which I'm convinced nobody ever really remembers right. This isn't a good or bad thing exactly. Advantage and disadvantage do a lot to speed combat along, but it also makes some of those situations shallow and inconsequential. Pathfinder gives you rules for practically every weird situation you can come up with, and the interactions can get devilishly deep. It just means that you as the DM will need to have these rules ready to go, or at least need to get adept at speedily looking them up. In 5e, magic items are few and far between. They're rare rewards that you can pass out when you feel like it, and only categorized loosely by rarity. Pathfinder took a different route and expects you to provide a certain amount of treasure and magic items depending on the player's levels. You can hand out items over directly, but you'll likely want to plan on some big magic item shops or other ways to make them available to your players. Pathfinder magic items all have gold prices attached, so if you're unsure what items to give, you can simply give them the recommended amounts of gold and treasure instead, which are found on page 399 of the core rulebook. You don't have to give your players everything under the sun, but the way Pathfinder is set up, it expects them to gain some basic stat increase items, and the monsters are all balanced with that assumption. Things like basic magic items, magic armor, amulets, or cloaks that add to their saving throws, for instance, and the belt and headband items that add to their ability scores. Now let's talk about NPC fairness. One of the design philosophies in Pathfinder is that any NPC works as if it was created as a character. This has led to a lot of very strange trends in how they build their NPCs and how you'll have to build your NPCs for Pathfinder Adventures. NPCs are built using all of the same rules as a character, but are often built up using multiple classes, tons of levels, and odd feat progression to be a serious threat to the party while still following all of the same rules. You'll find practically every NPC has a few levels of rogue to add extra damage, and you'll find humanoid NPCs your party face in adventure paths is often at much higher level than the party with features from countless sources. As a DM, you can always hand wave away a lot of this complexity in your own NPCs, but there are some mechanics you'll have to make up on the spot and some of the rules-savvy players out there will be able to spot these inconsistencies. Now let's talk about what it's like to switch to Pathfinder as a player. First, you're going to discover that there are a wealth of options for you to choose from. Pathfinder has a lot of the same basic character-building blocks as D&D 5e, just a lot more of them. You're still working with the six ability scores and rolling up stats in basically the same way. There's no background, but you're picking a race and a class. There are dozens of races to choose from, and dozens of classes to choose from, as you can imagine. There are also things like skill ranks. Pathfinder doesn't have proficiency, instead you'll be getting set bonuses to specific saving throws from your class, and you'll have a number of skill ranks determined by your class and your intelligence modifier that you can put into your skills of choice. Depending on how long you've been playing 5e, you might be used to picking your own ability score bonuses from your race. In Pathfinder, each race has not only bonuses to specific ability scores, but also negatives to specific scores. This means that there are better and worse combinations of class and race, and you should try not to pick a combination with a negative in one of your primary scores. Practically every race also has alternate versions that change these scores around and replace racial features with new ones. Shop around for the version that works best for you, and I know a lot of you players will relish in taking your time. In 5th edition, the class archetypes are built into how a class works with archetype features, set as specific levels just determined by what archetype you select. In Pathfinder, an archetype is more like a variant option on the class itself. You can just play a rogue, no archetype, no changes whatsoever. Or you could play one of nearly 100 archetypes of rogue, all of which replace some of the base rogue's features with new ones. Now let's discuss the favored class bonus. This is a whole system that's oddly easy to miss in your character creation. 
basically whenever you take a level in your favorite class, your only class usually, or your pick if you're multi-classing, you get an extra little bonus. This bonus is your choice of either an extra hit point or an extra skill rank. It gets a little more complicated though due to the extra racial options. Every race option has a list of their own favored classes, and if you're using the race and the class combination, you can choose something special instead of the skill rank or hit point. For example, if you're a half-orc barbarian, you can instead choose to get an extra round of rage per day as your favored class bonus. There are also a lot of racial favored class bonuses that are fractions. For example, let's say our half-orc is a sorcerer instead of a barbarian. Half-orc barbarians gain a half point of fire damage whenever they deal fire damage with a spell. Fractional bonuses must be added up to a whole number before they count. So, for example, let's say we're a third-level half-orc barbarian, and we've picked this racial class bonus for each level, gaining one and a half points of fire damage. We'll actually only deal one extra point, but you'll have to go up to two points the next time we take the favored class option. And now let's talk about your base attack bonus. Pathfinder doesn't have proficiency, but it does have a slowly growing number you'll add to your attack rolls. Your base attack bonus, often shortened to BAB, or BAB, is dependent on your class, with the martial classes typically getting a faster progression compared to casters. Your base attack bonus is also tied to the number of attacks you make. You'll see on the class tables that when the BAB gets to plus 6, plus 11, and plus 16, it adds another number separated by a slash. When you reach these, you have the ability to make extra attacks just with lower basic attack bonuses. So when you have a BAB of plus 6 slash plus 1, that means you can make two attacks, the first one with a plus 6 bonus and the second attack with a plus 1 bonus. Another rule that's easy to miss when changing over is the need to confirm your critical hits. If you make a critical hit, usually rolling a 20 on a d20, you automatically hit, but you then have to roll the d20 again as if you were making the attack again. If that roll would hit, you confirm the critical hit, and it's actually a critical hit rather than a normal hit. And I have to say, I actually kind of like this system. It makes rolls a little bit more intense. Uh, just one of those differences between the games that are subtle but enjoyable. In 5e, feats are an optional feature that you can take in place of an ability score, taken rarely and in low numbers. In Pathfinder, you gain a feat automatically at first level and another feat every odd level, and there are tons of ways to gain extra feats on top of that. There are hundreds of feats to choose from, but you'll have to get used to the concept of using feat trees. Most feats have other feats as prerequisites for taking them, and you'll have to plan around building up a feat tree if you want your character to really utilize them. Let's look at a relatively high feat called Lightning Stance. Lightning Stance is a cool feat that you might want to build up to, and it gives you a 50% concealment if you spent two actions on a movement in a turn. Think moving so fast that you're like a blur. Now Lightning Stance has several prerequisites that you need before you can take it. You must already have the Dodge Feat, the Wind Stance Feat, and a minimum dexterity score of 17, and a base attack bonus of plus 11. Wind Stance also has Dodge as its own prerequisite, which means our path to getting Lightning Stance is first taking Dodge, then taking Wind Stance, then once you hit a BAB of plus 11, taking Lightning Stance. You'll have to get used to this sort of planning ahead quite a bit more than you'd probably be used to in 5e. Though if you watch our multi-classing videos for 5e, you would know that might not be the case. Ultimately, if you're used to D&D 5e and you switch over to Pathfinder 1e, you're going to experience a lot more crunch and a lot more character options than you're used to. It is, however, from the same family tree as D&D, and most everything should be at least a little familiar to you. Pathfinder is an amazing game that has kept going right alongside D&D all these years. It's just a lot, well, crunchier. 
Expect a bit of a learning curve on both character creation and combat, but you should have a great campaign once you and your group get into the swing of things. Thank you guys so much for watching today's episode. I really appreciate it. Be sure to like and subscribe because we put out new videos all the time. And if you and your group are thinking about trying out Pathfinder or if you guys are trying Pathfinder for reasons that have nothing to do with all of the weirdness with WotC recently, I would like to know about it down in the comments. Thanks again for watching. My name is Patrick Ferguson from Skull Splitter Dice, and until next time, farewell.